ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Tonight then we resume our studies, carry on from where we left off in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. And the chapter that we had come to now is the chapter regarding the hajj and the umrah of the Prophet ﷺ. A chapter that will mention a little bit about the hajj and the umrah that the Prophet ﷺ did, and how many times he did that. So, فَاصْلٌ فِي حَجِّهِ وَعُمْرِهِ The chapter regarding his hajj and his umrah. رَوَى هَمَّامِ بْنُ يَحْيَى عَنْ قَالْ قُلْتُ لِأَنَسِ كَمْ حَجَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مِنْ حَجَّةٍ قَالْ حَجَّةً وَاحِدَةٍ وَاعْتَمَرَ أَرْبَعَ عُمُرَاتٍ عُمْرَةٌ أو عمرة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حين صده المشركون عن البيت والعمرة الثانية حيث صالحوه من العام المقبل وعمرة من الجعرانة حيث قسم غنيمة حنين في ذي القعدة وعمرته مع حجته صحيح متفق عليه It's mentioned in this narration from Hammam ibn Yahya from Qatada that he said I asked Anas ibn Malik how many times did the messenger, did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam perform hajj? He said, he performed hajj once. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam performed hajj once. And he performed umrah four times. He performed Hajj once and he performed Umrah four times. One Umrah during Dhul Qa'dah and also the Umrah of Al Hudaybiyyah and also the Umrah during his hajj and an umrah from al-ji'rana when he divided the spoils of war from Hunayn. With regards to this then what can be said is that all of this was after he arrived in Medina. The hajj and the Umrah when he was in Mecca, 
The Hajj and the Umrah when he was in Mecca before the migration, they have not been documented. Here what we're talking about is what is documented from after the Hijrah when the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina. So he performed the farewell pilgrimage and addressed the people saying, perhaps you will not see me after this year. And that is what is mentioned in the text. هَذَا بَعْدَ قُدُومِهِ الْمَدِينَةِ وَأَمَّا مَا حَجَّ بِمَكَّ وَاعْتَمَرَ فَلَمْ يُحْفَظْ So these details of four umrahs and one hajj is what occurred after the hijrah. As for before the hijrah during the Prophet's time in Mecca, any hajj, any umrah has not been documented. So what we have here is after the hijrah. وَالَّذِي حَجَّ حَجَّةَ الْوَدَاعِ وَدَّعَ النَّاسَ فِيهَا وَقَالْ عَسَىٰ أَلَّا تَرَوْنِي بَعْدَ عَامِ هَذَا And when he performed the farewell hajj, he addressed the people saying to them, perhaps you will not see me after this year. So the details of this. The Prophet ﷺ went out during the year of Al-Hudaybiyyah to perform the Umrah. And the Mushrikun prevented him from the sacred house. They prevented him from the Haram, from the Kaaba. And the Prophet ﷺ put on the garment of Ihram, shaved his hair and brought his sacrificial animal. The companions also put on the garments of Ihram and the great treaty of Al-Hudaybiyyah was implemented. That morning it's mentioned that Allah sent down the verse, إِنَّا فَتَحْنَا لَكَ فَتْحًا مُبِينًا That indeed we have given you a Muhammad a manifest victory. So the Muslims, it is mentioned after that incident, were secure. And after the Prophet ﷺ made an alliance with many of the Arab tribes, he sent messengers to the kings of Ethiopia, Yemen, Bahrain, Persia, Rome, and invited them to Islam. All of this resulted from the treaty that many of the companions did not actually feel comfortable with. They didn't want to do that. But Allah knew what would benefit the religion. And the people began to enter into Islam in big numbers. So then, that time occurred. The year after that, the year after that, the Prophet ﷺ performed Umrah again. During Al-Ji'rana, when he divided the war booty from Hunayn. So that was in the month of Dhul-Qa'dah. Dhul-Qa'dah is the month before the month of Hajj. Right now we're in the 10th month of the Islamic calendar. Because Ramadan is the 9th month of the Islamic calendar. So right now we're in Shawwal, the 10th month of the Islamic calendar. Next is Dhul-Qa'dah, the 11th month of the Islamic calendar. And then the final month of the Islamic calendar is Dhul-Hijjah, when Hajj occurs. 
Hajj occurs in the 12th month of the Islamic calendar. So in Dhul Qa'da, the 11th month of the Islamic calendar, this is when this incident occurred. And after the battle of Hunayn, they wore the garments of Ihram from that location, Al-Ji'rana. And he performed also on another occasion, Umrah and Hajj. When the Prophet ﷺ did the farewell Hajj, he did the Umrah too at that time. He did an Umrah too at that time in the year 10 Hijri. And he performed Qiran. When you do Hajj, there are three different methods of doing Hajj. There are three different methods of doing Hajj. There is one known as Ifrad, there is one known as Qiran, and there is one known as Tamattu'. It is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ did the method of Qiran in Hajj. All of them are very similar, all in Tawaf, Sa'i, etc. But a few differences in how and what is done in each style of Hajj. So the Prophet ﷺ did the Qiran type of Hajj. In that type of Hajj, you do an Umrah. You do an Umrah first. And then you do the Hajj. So it is an Umrah and then a Hajj as well. All in one go. So in that occasion, the Prophet ﷺ did this Umrah and then the actual Hajj as well. Uh, all of this occurred, as we mentioned here, بَعْدَ قُدُومِهِ الْمَدِينَةِ After his arrival to Medina. None of the historians, it is mentioned by some of the scholars, none of the historians mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ performed Umrah before the migration or before he became a Prophet. It is not documented that he performed Umrah or Hajj before becoming a Prophet or before the migration even. But they mention that the Prophet ﷺ used to revere the Kaaba and perform tawaf around it a lot before the Hijrah, when he was still in Mecca, and before he even became a Prophet. Because remember, the Arabs, they used to respect and honor the Kaaba from before even. So the Prophet ﷺ similarly had great respect for the Kaaba, and he used to do tawaf around the Kaaba. And he would go in front of the tribes during the Hajj season. So it's possible he performed Hajj. When he was in Mecca and the tribes used to come for the Hajj season, he would present himself and meet with these tribes. So it's possible maybe he did Hajj at that time too. But it's not documented. It has been narrated that he would go to Arafat during the Hajj season in opposition to the Mushrikun. The Mushrikun, they never used to go to Arafah in the Hajj. And they would say, do not leave the Haram. Because the Mushrikun, they used to do a an inverted commas Hajj before. And they used to do these various acts before. Like it's mentioned, they would do Tawaf around the Kaaba naked. And they would do this inverted commas Hajj before as well, the Mushrikun. Whereby they would call upon other deities besides Allah as well. So they had these types of activities that they would do. But in their supposed hajj as they did it, they would not go to Arafah and they would say you have to stick to the haram. So the Prophet ﷺ used to oppose that and he would go to Arafah. He would leave the haram and go to Arafah. So it's possible that he maybe did a hajj before that too, before the hijrah, but it's not documented. 
After the hijrah though, what we do know is that he performed the hajj definitely once in the year 10 hijri, which is just months before he passed away. Uh, and after the migration, he performed hajj once. Makkah was conquered in 8 hijri, in the year 8 hijri. And the hijri means from the point of the hijrah. So when they left Makkah, went to Medina, they made the hijrah eight years later, eight hijri, is when uh, the conquering of Makkah occurred. And in nine hijri, it is mentioned nine hijri or ten hijri, right at the end, before the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he did the farewell hajj with approximately a hundred thousand companions at that time. Approximately a hundred thousand companions at that time. So the point being here, what is documented is that there were four times Umrah was done. And there was once when Hajj was done. Then after that, Faslun fi ghazawatihi. The chapter that mentions some of the battles of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ghaza Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bi nafsihi khamsan wa ishreena ghazwa. Hada huwa al-mashhur. Qalahu Muhammad ibn Ishaq wa Abu Ma'ashar wa Musa ibn Uqba wa ghayrihum. Wa ghayrihum. Wa qila ghaza sab'an wa ishreen. In terms of the battles of the Prophet ﷺ, it is mentioned by some scholars that the Prophet ﷺ led the army personally into 25 battles. 25 battles he personally led the Muslims into it. And that is something well known. Mentioned by some of the scholars of history of Sirah, Muhammad ibn Ishaq, Abu Ma'ashar, Musa ibn Uqba and others. It has also been mentioned that he actually participated himself in 27 battles. 27 battles. And وَالْبُعُوثُ وَالسَّرَايَا خَمْسُونَ أَوْ نَحْوِهَا He also sent out approximately 50 Detachments, uh, 50 battalions, 50 small subsections of the armies to go out. 50 times he sent out those battalions, those detachments of the army to go out also. And وَلَمْ يُقَاتِلْ إِلَّا فِي تِسْعَ Himself, so far we've been talking about the number of battles the Prophet himself led the army in. Uh, uh, and the number of battles he was involved in, but how many battles did he personally fight in? So now it says, وَلَمْ يُقَاتِلْ إِلَّا فِي تِسْعَ That he fought, he fought himself in nine major battles. And they are Badr, the battle of Badr, the battle of Uhud, the battle of Al-Khandaq, which is also known as trench. the trench, but in Arabic there's another name for this battle too. The battle of Al-Khandaq, sometimes known as the battle of Al-Ahzab. 
Because all of the parties, the Mushrikun, the Jews, the Christians, everybody came together in a huge army to try and fight against the Muslims in that one. So it's known as the battle of the, the factions, the armies that all came. But also that was when they did the trench. So it's known as the battle of the trench too. Bani Qurayzah, the battle of Bani Qurayzah, and also Al-Mustaliq, and Khaybar, and the conquering of Mecca, and Hunayn, and Ta'if. وَقَدْ قِيلْ إِنَّهُ قَاتَلَ بِوَادِ الْقُرَىٰ وَفِي الْغَابَ وَبَنِ النَّظِرِ And some say that he fought in the battle, uh, battle of Wadi Al-Qura, and the expedition out to the Ghabah. And also regarding Banu An-Nadhir. These are the battles that the Prophet ﷺ participated in himself. The historians differ concerning the number of battles exactly. All of these battles occurred after the Hijrah. All of these battles occurred after the Hijrah. Because the Muslims were not given permission to fight before that. It was not revealed to them, permission was not given to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to engage in battle with the mushrikun, etc. prior to that hijrah. So in 10 years after the hijrah, he participated in 25 battles and some say 27. And the difference of opinion exists because sometimes they went out for one battle but actually fought, ended up fighting in Two battles. And some historians may count those as separate battles individually then. Others may count that all, both battles as one expedition and therefore one battle. So you may have some differences slightly in the figures 25, 27, maybe based around those types of issues. As for the major battles that the Prophet ﷺ himself participated in, then they are nine. The first of those was, of course, Badr, then Uhud, and then Khandaq. Fighting against him in these battles were his own family members from Quraysh, his own cousins. His own cousins from Quraysh, because, of course, some of the uncles of the Prophet ﷺ did not become Muslim. So some of their offspring and here and there from the family, extended cousins, etc. of the Prophet ﷺ. They remained with the mushrikun and they fought against him. And it's mentioned in those battles then, the tribalism and the blood ties, they were all put aside. They fought against the Prophet ﷺ because of their envy of the Prophet ﷺ. And they wanted to kill him and to destroy the da'wah of Tawheed. To destroy the da'wah of Al-Islam. But as Allah promised and as is his sunnah, Allah aided the Prophet ﷺ and aided the Muslims and gave them victory over the non-believers. These battles were followed by the battles of Qurayzah and Mustaliq and Khaybar and Banu Nadir. All of these battles were against the Jews. These ones mentioned at the end, all of those were against the Jews. And after that came the conquest of Mecca, the conquering of Mecca, Fathu Mecca in the year 8 Hijri. And Anas ibn Malik said, Anna al-Nabi 
صلى الله عليه وسلم دخل مكة يوم الفتح وعلى رأسه المغفر that the Prophet ﷺ entered Mecca on the day of the conquest with a helmet upon his head. <coughs> he entered Mecca on the day of the conquest with a helmet upon his head. After these battles, there were the battles of Hunayn and the battles of At-Ta'if. And in all of these, the Prophet ﷺ never oppressed anyone. In any of these battles, neither was it about revenge upon anyone. He would pardon the people. He would pardon them. And he would say, Fight in the name of Allah and in the cause of Allah. Fight those who disbelieved in Allah. Fight and do not behave treacherously. وَلَا تَغْدِرُوا وَلَا تُمَثِّلُوا وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا وَلِيدًا And do not mutilate the dead nor kill the children. This is the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. Fight, but do not be treacherous. And do not mutilate the corpses. And do not kill the children. This is what the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. So when Mecca was conquered, he entered in a state of humility. And he had been given victory after initially being expelled from Mecca. Initially the Prophet ﷺ had been expelled from Mecca by the mushrikun. They had forced him out. And then eight years later, Eight years later, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave strength to the Muslims such that they came back and they conquered Mecca. A conquest occurred and the mushrikun and the disbelievers were defeated. Then after that, it moves on to the chapter regarding Faslun fi kitabihi or kuttabihi wa rusulihi. The chapter regarding his writers, his scribes, and the ones he used to send with those messages, the messengers he would send. So the people, the companions who used to write for the Prophet that he would dictate, etc., and they would write for him. His scribes, his writers for him. Who were they? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, Umar ibn al-Khattab, Uthman ibn Affan, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Amr ibn Fuhayra, Abdullah ibn al-Arqam al-Zuhri, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shammas, Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As, Hanzalah ibn al-Rabi' al-Asadi, Zayd ibn Thabit, and Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, and Shurahbil ibn Hasanah. وَكَانَ مُعَاوِيَ ibn Abi Sufyan, وَزَيْدِ ibn Thabit, أَلْزَمَهُمْ لِذَلِكَ وَأَخَصَّهُمْ بِهِ And from that list of names, 
Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan and Zayd ibn Thabit, they were the ones who stuck to the Prophet ﷺ the most and they were the ones who were the most specific scribes and writers of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is now talking about those letters that were written for him, letters that were written for the Prophet ﷺ, because he himself was unlettered. He himself was unlettered. He himself would not write. Meaning he could not read or write himself. But it's important to note that just because you say he was unlettered, that he would not read or write himself, that does not have a connection to not having intelligence or ability. It does not mean that the Prophet ﷺ had any ignorance of affairs. The lack of writing or reading does not mean or necessitate ignorance. From his miracles, from the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, that even though he was unlettered, he memorized the Qur'an. He memorized the Qur'an even though he was unlettered. He would not read nor write. And it was not possible for him to receive this from anyone except from revelation through Jibreel salam. The Prophet ﷺ did not read or write, which is why he said to Jibreel when he first met him, when Jibreel said to him, read, as we covered before, he said, ma ana I'm not somebody who can read, I cannot read. So as for the unlettered person now, they are accompanied by ignorance. Normally now when somebody is illiterate, they can't read or write, then it's a sign of ignorance upon that person that you would see unlettered people these days as ignorant or lack of ability, can't read, can't write, you look down on them. Whereas that is not the understanding when it comes to the Prophet ﷺ. When we say he could not read or write, then it's not any type of ignorance that is being suggested. The Prophet ﷺ from his miracles, even though he could not read or write, memorized the Qur'an, this whole Qur'an from the best and most eloquent of the Arabic language. So he was the most knowledgeable of the people, the most knowledgeable of the people, even though he was unlettered. And he said himself, I am the most knowledgeable of you and the most pious and the most fearful of Allah. I am the most knowledgeable of you, the most pious and the most fearful of Allah. And when the Qur'an was revealed to him through Jibreel, he comprehended it and understood it and memorized it. Even though unlettered, he understood the Qur'an with that eloquent Arabic, detailed Arabic. And he understood it, and he memorized it, and he went and disseminated that and conveyed that to the companions, and they memorized it even though he was unlettered. So this shows, it doesn't mean when we say the Prophet was unlettered that there's any ignorance being indicated. The Prophet ﷺ was the most knowledgeable, even though he was unlettered. Memorized the Qur'an with its eloquence, understood it, taught it, even though he was unlettered. So this shows the miracle of the Prophet ﷺ. 
Uh, and so that list of names you mentioned there, they were the scribes of the Prophet ﷺ. They would do the writing on behalf of him, writing the letters, etc. وَبَعَثَ Rasulullah and also the Prophet used to send messengers. In those days, you send a person with a message, he goes on his horse and rides out to that country and then passes that message over. He used to send messengers out with these notes and these messages to go and give to other rulers, etc. He sent Amr ibn Umayyah al-Dhamri as a messenger to al-Najashi. وَاسْمُهُ أَصْحَمَهُ وَمَعَنَهُ عَطِيَّةِ فَأَخَذَ كِتَابَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ سَلَّمَ وَضَعَهُ عَلَى عَيْنَيْهِ so it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ sent Amr ibn Umayyah as a messenger to An-Najashi, whose name was actually Ashama. Najashi, like we said, wasn't his name. Najashi isn't his name. That's the title, like the Pharaoh of Egypt. Pharaoh isn't a name, it's a title. The Caesar is a title. These are titles of rulers in specific locations. In Ethiopia, in that area, in those days, the rulers were known as the Najashis. Just like the rulers of Egypt were known as the Pharaohs. So he was known as a Najashi from the line of Najashis who ruled in that area. His actual name was Ashama. Ashama which means literally in the meaning of the word, a gift. And so, the Prophet ﷺ sent Amr ibn Umayyah with a message to An-Najashi. An-Najashi took the letter of the Prophet ﷺ and placed it before himself. Took the letter of the Prophet ﷺ and placed it before himself. وَنَزَلَ عَنْ سَرِيرِهِ and then he came down from his chair, from his throne-like chair or his elevated chair. He came down from it. And he sat on the ground. Even though he was the, the, the leader of that place and the ruler of that place. Came down off his throne or whatever it was and sat on the ground. And he accepted Islam. He accepted Islam and he entered into Islam. وَحَسُونَ إِسْلَامُهُ And he was good. He perfected his Islam. إِلَّا أَنَّ إِسْلَامَهُ كَانَ عِنْدَ حُضُورِ جَعْفَرِ بِنَ بِطَالِبُ أَصْحَابِهِ And he accepted Islam in the presence of Ja'far ibn Abi Talib and his companions. And Sahha أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ صَلَّى عَلَيْهِ يَوْمَ مَاتِ وَرُوِيَ أَنَّهُ كَانَ لَا يَزَالُ يُرَى النُّورَ عَلَى قَبْرِهِ It is authentically mentioned that the Prophet وسلم, prayed the funeral prayer for An-Najashi when An-Najashi died. And it's been narrated that there was light seen from his grave. When An-Najashi died, in fact it will come now in the explanation, there were 
as Sheikh Muhammad Al-Aqli mentions here, two kings of Ethiopia with the title An-Najashi. Like we said, this was a title for the rulers. There were two of them, known as An-Najashi. The first one is the one who accepted Islam. The Najashi who came after him is a different one. The first one in the succession, the first Najashi, he is the one that is being spoken about in this event. The first Najashi is the one who accepted Islam when the companions migrated to his land during the first migration. What is the first migration? So initially when the Muslims were in Mecca, obviously the Kuffar were putting pressure on them, persecuting them, doing evil to them. So the Prophet ﷺ told the Muslims, told them, some of them to go make hijrah, leave Mecca, get out of there, away from the punishment and the persecution of the kuffar and go to Ethiopia, Abyssinia, that area, where Najashi was in charge. Because it was known that even though Najashi was Christian, he was a just ruler, didn't do wrong to anyone. So they went there, and it's mentioned it was during that time and Najashi accepted Islam. He is the one... Now, when the companions migrated to his land during the first migration. Uh, so later on then, the Prophet ﷺ sent Amr ibn Umayyah to invite the succeeding king of Ethiopia to Islam. So now we said there were two of these kings in succession known as An-Najashi. The first one accepted Islam during that initial migration that occurred. That wasn't the major migration, the major one was to Medina. This initial migration, the first Najashi accepted Islam then. Then after him came the next in succession, also known as the Najashi. That second one in succession, that's the one who the Prophet ﷺ sent Amr ibn Umayyah to. And he also, as we've just seen, accepted Islam. So both of those in succession, the Najashis, accepted Islam. The first one during the migration of the first Muslims, the second one after the Prophet ﷺ sent Amr ibn Umayyah to, and that is what seems to be the case from the books of history, that this is how it occurred. That he accepted Islam, or at least that he was desiring of accepting Islam. This is generally how it's mentioned in the books of uh, history. So if that be the case, it would mean that both of those Najashis accepted Islam. If that be the case, that the second one accepted also. Then it's mentioned, uh, was it stated there, that the Prophet ﷺ prayed uh, upon him on the day that he died. Uh, and that is mentioned because the, the Najashi when he died, he was surrounded by non-Muslims. So nobody prayed the Janazah prayer. On the same day that he died, by the miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet ﷺ was informed of his death. And so he told the companions to go out and they prayed the Janazah upon him. And that's what is mentioned here. Then after that, وَبَعَثَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وسلم دِحْيَا إِبْنَ خَلِيفَةَ الْكَلْبِ إِلَىٰ قَيْصَرْ مَلِكِ الرُّومِ وَاسْمُهُ هِرَقْلِ 
Also then, the Prophet ﷺ sent Dihya ibn Khalifa al-Kalbi to the Caesar. And the Caesar, of course, is the ruler of Rome. The Prophet ﷺ sent Dihya al-Kalbi as a messenger to the Caesar of Rome. And the particular Caesar in question was Heraclius. Heracles, he was the particular Caesar in question, the king of Rome. Uh, in Arabic known as Heracl, and in English pronounced as Heracles, or Heraclius, that Caesar of Rome. And so he asked about the Prophet ﷺ, and he <coughs> affirmed the truthfulness of his prophecy, and he was determined to accept Islam, but the Romans did not agree. And he feared for his kingdom. So he refrained from accepting. Mentioned here by uh, 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 the author, فَسَأَلَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم, That Heracles asked about the Prophet After the Prophet had sent him a messenger inviting him to Islam, Dihya al-Kalbi, the Caesar, Heracles, asked about Islam. وَثَبَتَ عِنْدَهُ صِحَّةَ نُبُوَّةِ And he was convinced of the truthfulness of the Prophet Muhammad فَهَمَّ بِالْإِسْلَامِ So he was considering entering into Islam. He wanted to enter into Islam. He wanted, he desired to enter into Islam. فَلَمْ تُوَافِقْهُ الرُّومِ But the Romans, his empire... His people, the Romans, did not conform to that. They did not desire that. So he feared that there may be a rebellion upon him, and the Romans may overturn him and overthrow him. And from the fear of those types of affairs, he did not enter into Islam. So the messenger, on this particular incident, had sent Dihya ibn Khalifa al-Kalbi to the Caesar, the king of Rome. Dihya, this individual, Dihya al-Kalbi, is well known because Jibreel alayhi salam, when he used to come, he always used to come in the form of a man. The Prophet sallallahu only saw Jibreel alayhi salam upon his original appearance Twice. All the other times when Jibreel used to come to the Prophet ﷺ, Jibreel used to come looking like a man. What man did he used to come looking like? This man, Dihya. He used to come looking like this man, Dihya al-Kalbi. He would come in his form. And so when, the, when Jibreel would see, uh, would come to see the Prophet ﷺ, he would come in the appearance of Dihya. And later on then, the Prophet ﷺ sent this very man, the actual Dihya, to Heraclius. And so Heraclius asked about the Prophet ﷺ and affirmed the truthfulness of his prophecy. And he was determined and wanted to enter into Islam, but the Romans didn't agree. And as a consequence, he refrained fearing for his kingdom. He was Christian. <coughs> And he possessed knowledge. He had books containing the attributes of the Prophet ﷺ. He wanted to accept Islam. But the scholars, the elders and the soldiers of his Roman Empire, 
They prevented him from doing so. And so because of fear over his kingdom, etc., he didn't do it. This is the proof that the leader of a country cannot bring change, good or evil, if he does not have anyone to assist him. This was the situation of Heraclius. He believed in the Prophet ﷺ. He wanted to accept Islam. But his scholars and monks and army became upset. So he replied, I was only testing you. And he didn't accept Islam. Fearing uh, basically the rebellion that may occur upon him from his people and the Romans. So that is a couple of examples of where the Prophet ﷺ used to send people with the message of Islam, inviting them to Islam. Next week we'll carry on with some more examples yet. There are more examples, several more examples of where the Prophet ﷺ sent some of the messengers out with the message of Islam to other rulers and leaders. So we'll start with those from next week inshallah ta'ala at the same time 7 p.m. InshaAllah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that for today then. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.